From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Ah, welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang out, hang your uh, cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. And you'll need it up here. It's uh, unseasonably cool, even though we are well into spring. You wouldn't know it. Welcome. You are among friends. This is The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett, and uh, I am your humble little chat show host, artist, author, filmmaker, magician. Paul Davids is standing by with a remarkable tale involving a post-mortem contact with the great, the eccentric Forrest J. Ackerman. It's all detailed in his book, An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death. Paul is actually the co-author, along with uh, Gary E. Schwartz and uh, John Alliston. Uh, John Allison, rather. And we'll get to that in mere moments. Ian Robertson is here on the other side of the glass, twisting the dials and the knobs. Albert Vinzel is uh, running our HOA, The Hangout on Air. And if you want to watch the live stream of this radio program, and it's kind of cool, uh, you can watch it on YouTube. You just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S. Why? Because I love you, R-E-double-T. Go to the top of the feed, and you'll find the tweet with the HOA link. You just click on it, and you are in the Inner Sanctum. You can watch the radio program. Uh, please visit the live events page at strangeplanet.ca. Just, you know, keep checking back. There's always interesting things coming along, and my dear friends Patrick and Kadena at Conspiracy Culture Bookstore are presenting a special event Saturday, May the 21st, uh, it's called Missing 411 Canada with author-researcher David Polides, who is a frequent uh, guest on Coast to Coast, and I'll be hosting. I hope to see you there. Again, just visit the live events page, strangeplanet.ca. Click on that, and uh, that's all the information and, and uh, ticket uh, information and so forth. Uh, while you're there at strangeplanet.ca, go to the radio page for The Conspiracy Show. The, ra- the uh, radio program you're listening to right now. And up the top is the slide carousel. And Albert and I have posted our usual assortment of tantalizing tidbits and news stories about the paranormal conspiracies and the just plain weird. Uh, there is an update. Have you been following this uh, mysterious hum story? Um, there have been occurrences of it all over the world, really. In fact, there's a gentleman in uh, British Columbia who's uh, dedicated a website to this. He's tracking it. Uh, but this particular story, which comes from the Globe and Mail, is focusing on, on Windsor, Ontario, just south of here, the industrial town of Windsor. And the, uh, the residents uh, there, uh, this has been going on for years. It's kind of off and on, this mysterious hum. Nobody knows what the source of it is. Uh, it hangs around for a while and then it disappears. But residents report loss of sleep and nausea. And, um, well, half a decade after the, the hum first started, uh, it seems to be growing louder than ever. And for many residents, it's not merely uh, some science fiction plot. They call it a civic nuisance that has pushed them to their wits' end and, and highlighted anxieties over sovereignty and the fate of industry in, in this hard-hit border community. Uh, and um, after years of really nothing much being done about it, they, they hope the liberal government, the newly minted liberal government here, will save their eardrums and their peace of mind. The Windsor Hum, uh, as it's known, has been compared to an idling diesel truck, a constant earthquake, an orchestra t- tuning up, and a car subwoofer playing Barry White. Uh, anyway, you can read the whole story from the Globe and Mail, and that's just one of the stories we've posted in the slide carousel at the top of the radio page, all you need to do is go to strangeplanet.ca and then uh, click on the radio page. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm really excited about this one. Uh, this is a rare event. We're going to carry this one for the full two hours. We do not do this ordinarily, but this, um, well, you'll find out why in just a moment. If you're a sci-fi fan or a, or a horror film fan of a certain age, you will remember... Monsters of Filmland magazine, uh, which began publishing in the late 1950s, 1958, I think. It was published by James Warren, and the editor was a very eccentric gentleman by the name of Forrest J. Ackerman. 
Uh, he was also a science fiction writer of himself. He was a literary agent and uh, quite a character who inspired generations of Hollywood filmmakers who, again, were avid fans of Monsters magazine. And Ackerman was also an avowed atheist. And he promised that, you know, if he was wrong about, you know, an afterlife, that he would reach out to a special somebody, try to communicate, almost like uh, Houdini and his promise to his his, uh, his wife. Uh, and then Ackerman died just before midnight on Thursday, December the 4th, 2008. And a few months later, in 2009, it all began. A series of apparent post-mortem communications between the late Forrest J. Ackerman and his good friend, Paul Davids. And this series of communications and synchronicities, it's, it's endless. It's been described as the most comprehensive and compelling case of after-death communication, a case that offers many types of testable challenges for labs at Indiana University, the College of New Jersey, and the University of Arizona. Their studies, reports, and findings include extensive chemical analysis and forensic document examination. And all of this evidence and the whole story, and what a wild ride it is, and it's not over yet, it's all included in the book, An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death. Paul Davids is one of the co-authors. He's an author, artist, director. He's produced films that include Marilyn Monroe Declassified. That should be out uh, very shortly. Uh, NBC Universal's Jesus in India. The Sci-Fi Boys and Showtime's Roswell. He co-authored six books of the Star Wars saga with his wife, Hollis Davids, for Lucasfilm. He's a Princeton psychology graduate. His uncanny experiences of phenomena related to Mr. Ackerman are the subject of the film The Life After Death Project, which is aired here on Vision TV. An Atheist in Heaven is about his extraordinary case of this extraordinary case of afterlife communication, and Mr. Davids has signed a sworn affidavit certifying that it is all true. Paul Davids, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Thank you, Richard. It's great to be on and uh, to have a little taste of Toronto <clears throat> from here in Los Angeles. Uh, I, I, first of all, kind of on a personal note, i got to tell you, because you and I, we met for breakfast in, in, uh, in Venice Beach uh, oh, a month and a half, two months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, you performed, because you're, a, you're quite the magician, Mm-hmm. And uh, you performed a, um, a quite a remarkable little magic trick, and I recorded it on my my iPhone. And my every, <laughs> practically isn't a day that goes by that my twin boys uh, ask to see that video. And I was we, we were looking at it again tonight. <laughs> my, my word! I mean, it's one thing to do some uh, a, a trick, you know, up on a stage, and people are kind of distant. But I was like, what? Maybe a half a foot from you. And I, wow, it, it's just, it's, it all involves, uh, you know, a dollar bill and turning it into a million dollar bill and then back into a dollar. You're good. You are good. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, <clears throat> I've been uh, a member of the Magic Castle in Hollywood now for, oh, goes back to uh, when I was working on the Transformers show in the mid 1980s. And uh, so we're talking over 30 years of being a member of the uh, Professional Magicians Academy. Uh, in Hollywood and attending so many shows and seeing so many of the great magicians and learning so much about the techniques and enjoying it so much really as a hobby because <clears throat> I've, you know, I, I've never worked as a professional magician, but I certainly have developed a repertoire and I, I, I like to be the life of a party <laughs> with magic when, you know, when the occasion arises and, uh, all the more so, uh, the reason that I had to sign a sworn affidavit about this case and uh, really uh, work to make my, uh, my co-author, Gary Schwartz, who is um, a university professor, Arizona, uh, Tucson. Uh, and, and he has a Ph.D. from Harvard. He's taught at Yale, psychology and many related fields. And he has researched life after death evidence for over 15 years 
the University of Arizona, Tucson. He has a um, <clears throat> an organization called, um, uh, well, it's the Organization for uh, Advances in Consciousness and Health. So he has uh, investigated mediums or people who think they are mediums. He has <clears throat> worked with um, technological equipment, very, very sensitive uh, instruments to try to detect the presence of spirit. He's worked on these you know, scientists would call this very fringe areas. And from the beginning, when I first uh, was introduced to him, he said, uh, Paul, you know, I, I, I'm interested in your story. I'd like to see what science can bring to it to um, see what we can corroborate. And he said, I, I want to tell you, you know, if this is some kind of a magician's hoax or you're having a fast one pulling my leg, um, he said, I, I want to tell you, I'm not just going to expose you, Paul Davids. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, even though, I mean, let's, Dr. Schwartz, he does dabble in this arena, this space. I mean, yeah. at, at his lab, he, the director of the lab at, in the University of Arizona. But it's, so for him, I mean, uh, it's one thing. Uh, and, but he's certainly a respected scholar. But then you have a guy like your other co-author, Dr. John Allison, who wrote yeah. two chapters from the University of Delaware. He's a chemist. Well, he's a College of New Jersey. Oh, by okay. the way, I wanted to correct one other mistake. Ah. The magazine is not Monsters of Filmland, but it's Famous Monsters. Ah, of famous Monsters of Filmland. Now, we okay. always call it FM or FMOF, and it has been around since 1958, as you reported. But yes, also there's John Allison, the chemist, <clears throat> Jay Siegel. Uh, extraordinary chemist who was head of the uh, Department of Chemistry at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. <clears throat> All of these people invested their time, uh, their energy, their reputations, because usually scientists don't want to go near this stuff. This well, that was my year. yeah, that was my point. I mean, it's, as I said, it's one thing for Sh Gary Schwartz because he has written in you know about this and he has studied this, but for Allison, Dr. John Allison. Uh, to yeah. come on board and and write two chapters. I mean, imagine the courage it would take someone like that. Because, uh, I mean, this let's face it, this is forbidden territory for. Well, and, and and let me make the point. He's not writing these chapters to say he's figured this stuff out and has normal explanations for all of the phenomena that were was brought to him to study. It's quite the opposite. <clears throat> After three years of study, he's going on record as saying. This is a real, true, genuine mystery to science, that he's brought all the tools of all of his chemical training to this, that he studied it for three years. He's assigned it as a class project year after year, you know, putting 20, 30 students to work with the mystery of how uh, we're talking about an ink obliteration. The first phenomenon had to do with ink on a document. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment, yeah. Paul. We're coming up on a break, but it's all documented in this remarkable book, An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death. Paul Davids, author, filmmaker, extraordinary magician, is with us, and we will talk about this amazing case of after-death communication between the great Forrest J. Ackerman and my guest, Paul Davids, over the next two hours. Stay with us. Exploring Theories uncovering facts and offering a different view of the universe this is the conspiracy show with richard sarrett author of filmmaker paul davids is with us the book is an atheist in heaven the ultimate evidence for life after death and this uh, case involves uh, forrest j ackerman who was editor of famous monsters of filmland and just to give you a sense of his influence uh, back in, in 2000, uh, Stephen King uh, wrote a nonfiction book called On Writing, and he describes his history with Ackerman's work. He calls Famous Monsters of Filmland a life-changing publication, and, and he added, Ask anyone who's been associated with the fantasy, horror, science fiction genre in the last 30 years about this magazine, and you'll get a laugh, a flash of the eyes, and a stream of bright memories. I practically guarantee it. Uh, so uh, that's Forrest J. Ackerman. Now, Paul, now in your documentary, Sci-Fi Boys, which came out about 10 years ago, yeah. you, you focus heavily on famous monsters and Mr. Ackerman, and you interviewed him. But when, where does your history begin uh, with, with Forrest J. Ackerman? How did you become such good friends? Well, it started when I was, uh, when I was a wee lad, 
um, and famous monsters came out, and I would covet every issue, and they would be confiscated from me by the teachers. And even my parents didn't quite approve, because they didn't really understand what a wealth of cinematic education this magazine was, filled with humor from the editor, who had such a marvelous and unique sense of humor, and showed the behind-the-scenes of special effects in science fiction and horror films way before you could get this information anywhere else. So when I was a kid, people asked my friends what they wanted to be, and it was always, you know, doctor, lawyer, professor, <clears throat> work for the government, run for political office, because I grew up near Washington, D.C. And uh, I, I said, I want to be a special effects cinematographer. <clears throat> no one knew what that was. But it was because of Famous Monsters magazine. <clears throat> I met Fari when I was about 13. He came to Washington, D.C. for a World Science Fiction Convention. And he was uh, so outgoing, and he had made this cross-country trip meeting fans along the way. Uh, and I was, of course, a, a big fan of the magazine, had always wanted to meet him. And he invited me to show some little amateur 8mm, I mean very amateur movies. You know, I was 13 years old. <clears throat> but I, I made my own versions of dinosaur films and dragon films and The Mummy and Frankenstein and that sort of thing. And 8mm, this was before we had video. So there's no sound uh, on this. And these little reels, they're like three minutes long. And he invited me to uh, show these to a group of fans in the hotel that he was staying at. And he made a big deal about it, and he said he was going to print an article about this in Famous Monsters, and he did. And then, uh, I guess it must have been within about a year, I was one of the winners in Famous Monsters Amateur Movie Making Contest. And, uh, I, you know, to be a kid who's not even in high school yet and get a letter from Hollywood from Forrest J. Ackerman addressed to Master Movie Maker Paul Davids, well... I can assure you I was not a master movie maker then, but, you know, it was so wonderful and flattering. <clears throat> and to be in the pages of his magazine made me feel like maybe I could be a movie producer. So I, I, uh, I went to Princeton. I was pre-med. Uh, I, I took all the science uh, courses uh, preparing for pre-med. And then around the time the Beatles' Yellow Submarine movie came out, I'd always been fascinated by animation. I decided, no, no, no medicine for me. I was going to head for Hollywood. I got accepted at the American Film Institute as a, one of the first fellows at their Center for Advanced Film Studies. And once there in Los Angeles, <clears throat> I was at Far East's doorstep. He lived in, um, he called it the Acker Mansion. And he, he moved from one Acker Mansion to another uh, around the time that I was, uh, in that first decade or so, I was in Los Angeles. Uh, the biggest one was 18 rooms in the Los Feliz area near Griffith Park, absolutely filled with props, memorabilia, movie posters, lobby cards, science fiction books, masks, the original monsters that were used to create the effects in the movies. The house was a museum. And author Ray Bradbury called it the Fort Knox of science fiction. So this began a bond between myself and Fari that w went on for decades. And uh, when, when my wife and I were <clears throat> given a contract to write six uh, sequel Star Wars books for younger readers, um, we dedicated one of them to Fari. And uh, when our first book was published, which was called The Fires of Pele, Mark Twain's legendary lost journal about the myths of Hawaii and Mark Twain, uh, Fari wrote a, uh, a foreword to it. He, he would call these things a Fori word. Everyone <laughs> called him <laughs> yes. Fori. Right. And he reduced that to four, the number four, E, because to, to really understand him, you need to know he, well, he was into Esperanto, that universal language that idealists thought could help promote world peace if everybody spoke Esperanto. It was a created language, and it had a simplicity to it. So he telegraphed and punctuated things, like with a 4E for his name, 
And he was very much into puns and wordplay and word games and finding names within names and making jokes out of it. Um, so eventually, when he did pass away and his games started with me, um, the, the, the word games and word manipulation um, that was his trademark was part of his communication with me that it surprised me so much. That gets ahead of our story. Right. I want to ask you before we get into, you know, uh, uh, to, his, to his death. Yeah. Um, did you have conversations with Forey about, you know, he, he's an avowed atheist. I mean, yeah. and I don't know where you were in terms of your spiritual development at this point, but did you have lengthy discussions with him about metaphysics and, and spirituality? Yes. Uh, and also about anything paranormal, including flying saucers, which he didn't believe in. And that was a problem for me after 1987 because I was a direct eyewitness to one with my two children in broad daylight. And I had to explain to him these things are real. They're, they're not just fiction. He was very slow to accept any of these things. He was a writer about all of these things. His, his pages of the magazine are filled with flying saucers and ghosts, you know, and the undead and zombies and mummies. And, but to him it was all fiction. You know, he philosophically, for him, there was no God. There's no life after this one. Um, when he did pass, uh, and, and at his estate sale, I acquired many, many binders of his archives that included some of his writings that were never published, including missives that he would write. Uh, uh, like on the anniversary of his wife's death, he wrote a missive that he just sent to a number of friends. Um, as though he were writing it to her and saying, you know, by now you realize there's no afterlife, and we were right. It's an oxymoron, of course. It's ridiculous because he's writing to someone who he's saying, you know, the brain died, the light bulb went out, there is no more consciousness, it's over, and yet um, he's he's writing her to say, by now you can confirm <laughs> right. it for me. You know, right. It's funny. It's part of his 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 humor, but. Um, from the time he was a boy, he rejected religion, and yet his grandparents were spiritualists, and they even had seances, and they had one seance that had a positive result for his grandfather, who, as a result of a Ouija board, was advised to take a job that he had been offered, he didn't feel he was ready for, to design a building in Los Angeles they called the Bradbury Building, no relation to Ray Bradbury. But the uh, Bradbury building has been um, used to film movies like Blade Runner, for example. It was a futuristic building for its era, and it was a Ouija board response that gave the grandfather the courage, even though he wasn't uh, fully, um, <clears throat> what would you say, a fully um, uh, accredited architect yet. He was the, uh, the young boy at the firm who was just making lots of, Futuristic, very imaginative drawings that caught the imagination of the person that wanted to see the Bradbury building built. So Fari saved the Ouija board uh, message and framed it and would tell visitors to his house about it. So that was one example of where he would, you know, kind of hold it up in your face and he'd say, but, you know, but there are no spirits. You know, I, you know, I don't believe in any communication. He was a bundle of contradictions because he also wrote some short stories about angels in heaven. And one of his favorite stories was called Letter to an Angel. It was about a, a hunchback boy who was a fan of Lon Chaney, who was the hunchback of Notre Dame. Sure, Lon Chaney Sr. and the Wolfman. The boy dies young and he goes to heaven and sees Lon Chaney and he and in the final sentence uh, or final paragraph of the story, that's when you realize the boy was a hunchback and he's so happy that now he's a spirit and he doesn't have this deformity anymore. And he's with his idol, Juan Cheney. So Fari played with these things in fiction. He was a man of many contradictions. So when he, um, when people would try to pin him down about um, what, if he, what if he's wrong, because he died at age 92, so by the time he's 88 and 89, we're talking to him about these things. It's like, what if you're wrong? And, and he not only said it to me that, you know, if I wake up to some great 
science fiction convention in the sky. He said, you know, I'll I'll give your regards to Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi. And, <laughs> hey, so I'll be very, very busy there with my my departed wife, Wendane. Um, he said, but when the party uh, dies down, he said, uh, if I can, uh, you know, maybe I'll drop you a line. And then he would <clears throat> turn to a very sort of stern voice and say a very serious voice, you know, but don't count on it. <laughs> you know, like, it's not going to happen. Paul Davids is with us, the author of An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death, the co-author, rather, along with uh, Gary E. Schwartz, Ph.D., and John Alliston, uh, Allison, a Ph.D. Uh, let, let's uh, move ahead to, to March uh, 18th, 2009, and this is uh, about three months uh, after uh, Forey passes away. And you're at your vacation home in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And this yes. brings us uh, really to the crux of the matter, the, the famous ink blot obliteration. Could, could I say, Richard that before we go to March 18th, I think we should talk about the weekend that preceded it, or the, it was March 8th, um, the, uh, the tribute for Fari. All right, okay. Because yes. the timing of the context of when these contacts happened was crucial to understand the believability of it all. That, um, uh, that, that Jomo, who was the closest confidant and pal and sort of caretaker for Fari the last 10 years of his life. Wonderful Hawaiian fellow. Um, organized this tribute a few months later. Fari had said, I don't want a funeral. I don't want a memorial. And Joe had said, well, what about a tribute, Fari? Would you accept if we have a tribute for you? And he said, well, okay to that. So that was at the Egyptian Theater where we had done the premiere for my movie, The Sci-Fi Boys, which we may need to go back to that later, but that was, it, it placed Fari's importance in the whole development of movie science fiction with help from Peter Jackson of The Lord of the Rings. Right, right. Uh, <clears throat> so we had had the premiere for that at the, the Egyptian, and we had the tribute for Fari at the Egyptian, and I don't know if there are a thousand seats in the theater, but every seat was filled. People came from all around the world to pay tribute to him. And there were many speakers many far more important than I. Uh, they included Ray Bradbury and John Landis uh, and uh, um, Guillermo del Toro and Peter Jackson checked in from New Zealand. And I was invited to speak too. I was a science fiction producer and uh, I had uh, written the Star Wars books. And then I had made the film Roswell for Showtime, not science fiction, but a docudrama about the UFO incident. So I was a speaker, too. And there were two Canadians, Ian Paul Johnston of Toronto and Michael McDonald of Halifax. They had made a bio documentary about Fari for Canadian TV, and they came to show their documentary that night. And the day of the, um, the tribute... Well, during the day, they went to Fari's crypt, and Mike McDonald rapped on the, the crypt, you know, knock, 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 hi, Fari, it, it's uh, Michael McDonald, you know, Ian and I have come all this way from Canada to show the movie about you tonight, and, uh, you know, we love you, we'll never forget you. And he said that he certainly didn't consider it disrespectful to rap on Fari's crypt because of the sense of humor Fari had. Fari would have smiled over it. Well, Fari obviously was smiling over it because they told us they told us that weekend that within an hour of doing that, they heard from Fari. They heard from him on their computers in the hostel they were staying in. And they told the story, and it was just quite incredible. We're going to get to that story right after this break, Paul. And I remember this from the uh, Life After Death Project uh, film that came out a few years ago that aired right here on Zoomer Media's Vision TV. It's quite remarkable, and we will get to that story. Paul Davids, co-author, An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. All right. Batten down the hatches. Paul David stays with us, and he is the co-author of An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death. He swore an, uh, swore an affidavit 
uh, that this entire story is absolutely true. Be- uh, by the way, before we get back to uh, uh, that weekend of the uh, the tribute to um, Forey Ackerman, when you swear a, swear a statement certifying the truth of this account, what does that mean legally? Well, I'm trying to indicate that <clears throat> what uh, my account uh, what my account is should have the same weight as if it were testimony in court. In other words, um, uh, I've uh, told in this book all of the different things that have happened in terms of the strange phenomena since Fari passed away. Some of it that science has investigated and others that had witnesses and some where I was the only witness. And uh, I've, I've sworn this affidavit to state from the outset <clears throat> that my purpose in this is to tell the truth as I know it about everything that happened without exaggeration, without embellishment. My, my purpose in this is to have the truth of these events known. I'd like it known by scientists and uh, some of the skeptics because it's a challenge to them and their point of view. Um, In the preface, Dr. Schwartz writes a warning, and the warning is that everything in this book is, is true, that the story is true, that he's vetted it, he's vetted me, uh, he, he's worked with me, he's worked with uh, the evidence in the lab, and phenomena happen to him as well. Many of the phenomena also happen to Dr. John Allison, the chemist of College of New Jersey. So uh, it, it's like sort of I was a touchstone, uh, and that as I would reach out to others for help in analyzing this, they would begin to see firsthand that things would start to happen in their life connected to Fari Ackerman, apparently connected to him, uh, that they could not explain. And it became a deeper and deeper challenge. One of the key points we've missed here so far is this. As you pointed out, there was a 2013 film I made still available as a two-DVD set called uh, The Life After Death Project. That was my video documentation of the story as it unfolded and as much evidence as I could put into that film and and the sequel that comes with it. But after that came out, and it did air in Canada on Zoomer TV, and I was invited to speak about it actually at Idea City by uh, Moses Snymer, who had me as a guest, uh, things continued. And academics got in touch with me and in touch with Gary Schwartz, who was part of the research, and said, you know, documentary film, very intriguing, uh, certainly introduces us to all of uh, this evidence, but you really need a book. If you want it taken seriously in the academic community, if you want scientists, chemists, psychologists, university people to take this case seriously, Give us a book that has all the evidence, the scientific reports, all the evidentiary photos that you have. Give us a glossary of all the events, you know, with an index. That's what we've done. It took three years of writing by uh, the two of us, Gary and me, then plus a couple of chapters by John Allison and a um, a chapter by one other gentleman named Jack Kelleher who had some phenomena happen to him. So this was the purpose. Do the full book, put the scientific reports in there, lay it all out on the table, and the sworn affidavit is to say, I haven't exaggerated. I want you to know my purpose in this is for science. It's for the benefit of mankind to know that there really is very, very strong reason to believe, as uh, some spiritualists have told us for a 100 years, that personality survives death, and that contact between the departed spirit and those of us who are still in the body is possible and does happen. All right. Now, I, I, we want to go back to the uh, the weekend of the, the tribute uh, for Forey, and um, two of the, the individuals in town, 
uh, for that. Uh, was it Michael McDonald and was it the writer Ian Johnston? Yes. They went to Forest Lawn to uh, where Forey is interred, and they knocked on his crypt and sort of as a sign of respect. And what happened? Well, they returned to the hostel room that they were sharing, and they had their two computers side by side on a bureau. Uh, Ian's computer was asleep and not logged on to the Internet. And uh, Michael tried to um, post a blog, and um, a capture code came up. To they, they have these capture codes to make sure that you're not spamming, like Facebook. So it's it'll be a word, or some numbers, letters maybe that have a sort of a squiggle. You know, we all encounter these, right, sometimes uh, on the Internet. But the capture code that came up was Fari Ackerman's last name. It was Ackerman, zero, zero, zero. And this absolutely blew him away. You know, for one thing, you know, he went rap, rap, rap on the crypt. And the other thing, here's his name with a capital A. And, you know, there was an actress at that time whose last name was Ackerman, A-K-E-R. But, no, this was spelled like Fari's name, and they'd just been... They'd just been to his resting place. So uh, baffled and and, 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 and somewhat shocked, they they said, you know, what, you know, is he really dead? And then that's when Ian's computer blurted out with a voice that said, oh my gosh, no way. And it was a childlike voice. And uh, Ian had as the, uh, the home screen of his computer a photo of Fari as a child, four-and-a-half-year-old child, and here's this childlike voice, which they find out later is an animated emoticon. You can find on YouTube a little animated character says, oh, my gosh, no way, and it rolls over. But the computer wasn't logged on to YouTube. This wasn't in his hard drive, and Ian said, you know, my computer had no business talking to me because it was as if it replied to what they said at the time. Right, right. So you had the two guys, one who believes in ghosts, that's Mike McDonald. He says he's lived in a haunted house. And you have Ian Johnston, who doesn't believe in these things, who's a hardcore skeptic who's confronted with this experience. They tell me about it that weekend of the tribute. And this is like the night before I get on a plane to go to Santa Fe to my vacation house. Okay. And now it is on. All right, we will take a time out. This was a short segment. We'll come back and we'll uh, we'll get to that inkblot obliteration. An Atheist in Heaven, the Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death, co-authored Paul Davids, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away, as if. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. All right. I'm not sure why we're playing Christmas music. However, uh, we are back with uh, Paul Davids, author, filmmaker, and uh, he is the co-author of An Atheist in Heaven, The Ultimate Evidence for Life After Death. This is a remarkable, a detailed, comprehensive a chronicle of after-death communications between uh, Mr. Davids and his good friend, uh, a sci-fi writer, literary agent, editor of Famous Monsters of Filmland, uh, Forrest J. Ackerman. Uh, okay, so um, can we move things along? We'll get right to that obliteration. Yes, yes. Oh, and and I, I do want to add to your description of the book that uh, it is available in Canada uh, as um, an e-book at uh, Amazon. All right. So that's there now. So um, here's what happened to me that set all of this in motion. Um, when I was at my uh, Santa Fe house, it was tax season, and I, I had a... Uh, 24-page file uh, in my computer of business calls and meetings, and I needed to print it out to go through it to see if there were things that would remind me of business deductions. So I pressed the print command on the computer, and I knew it was going to take time, and, and I wanted to go out anyway. So I, I went out uh, to a local Indian casino where I sometimes play a little blackjack, and I think I had dinner. I came back. Now, I was alone on this trip. My wife was not with me. Uh, it's a large house, but um, I'm in, once I'm back, you know, the doors are locked. No one is in that house but me. And I retrieved the document. So since it had been printed before I went out, you know, as I was going out, um, obviously the ink is dry. 
and I look it over, and uh, it all looked completely normal. So, so far, we have absolutely no story, nothing to get excited about. I stapled it. I tossed it on the bed on the main floor and uh, went into the bathroom for maybe five minutes, and I intended to sort of crawl into bed and go through this thing with a pencil and and, and uh, figure out what related to tax items. When I came out of the bathroom, that was the moment of shock. It, was, it stands out in my mind as a moment in time, frozen in time. As I looked at that document, <clears throat> I could see immediately that on one line, words had been blacked out by uh, some kind of ink um, or, or, or paint. I didn't know what it was, but it was still moist. You could see it was still moist. Now, nothing had been moist on the document when I went out of the room. And the reason it's so shocking is that as you look at it, you see that it's perfectly blocking out several words. Actually, it was four words, but two of them you couldn't even read at all. Two of them you could sort of see. The key thing is that you, you know immediately that these words were targeted for the blackout because it's so neatly done. The blackout, it's like, you know, coloring in the lines in a coloring book. It, it was intended. So we're not talking about water dripping from a ceiling. We're not talking about a leaky pen in the bed. You know immediately it's deliberate, but there's no one there but me, and I didn't do it. And I'm in shock because this is impossible. This is where my life walks into the twilight zone, for real, for the first time. Because in the world that I've been brought up to believe in, this can't happen. You know, no one can do that from afar. You know, the National Security Agency may have satellites and all kinds of devices for spying on people and doing all kinds of things, but no, <laughs> not, not to change four words in a document inside somebody's locked house. So, right. And the, as you say, the, the four words are obliterated, and the two words that, that precede the, the blocked out words yeah. is, are only partially uh, blocked out. blotted so two out. Two levels of opaqueness, right. which becomes important for later in the story. Um, but uh, the first two words were spoke to, and then I couldn't read the other uh, uh, words. I had to later go to the computer file to see what they were. But the fear, Richard... The fear from somebody who is a skeptic like me, you asked about my previous beliefs. You know, well, you know, I, I wasn't committed to any beliefs. You know, I'd, I'd read about reincarnation. I had uh, been a segment producer for an F. Lee Bailey segment on lie detector with a psychic detective named Dorothy Allison from New Jersey uh, decades before this happened. Um, and uh, so my curiosity had been aroused by all those things, but no, it never happened to me. And uh, I, I had fear because, you know, when you see something that's like a black spot and you think of, you know, the black spot in pirate stories always means, you know, you're, you're the next one to right. die. Right, impending, a foreshadowing, yes. Foreshadowing of, of death. And I, I wondered if, if, if I was being told that I was soon to die, which wasn't true, of course. <laughs> it's been, what, eight years since this happened. But uh, it took me days to figure out what the message in this inkblot meant and why it would be from, from Foriak. All right, unravel that mystery for us here. Okay. So, uh, Jomo was Fari's closest caretaker. Right, you mentioned him, yes. Well, I didn't, I didn't see it right away that the name Jomo is contained in these words. The words were spoke to... And then the name was Joe Amoday. This was a guy I hardly even knew. I spoke to him once. He was a film distributor in Canada. I think I asked him if he was interested in distributing my film, Jesus in India. Great film, but he wasn't interested. We had one conversation, never again. So the first question is, why, why does a spirit come to me from another world to tell me something about Joe Amoday? You know? <laughs> If, if he's got trouble in his life, tell a relative. You know, why tell me? Right. But uh, uh, it did occur to me that he was an editor, and he'd been in touch with Mike McDonald and Ian Johnson. I believed their story implicitly. You listen to them, you had to believe what they told you. 
And uh, so I wondered if I could find examples of um, articles from from famous monsters that before they'd been published that had the editing notations in them to see had Fari done this before. And I happened to have a book about famous monsters that had something like that. But as I read it, I wasn't sure whether Fari had done the blackout in that or whether it was his publisher, James Warren. Because I did find one that looked kind of like what had happened to me. So I figured, how am I going to find out whether it was Warren or Ackerman? I called up Joe Moe. And this is the this is the other key moment in all of this that that Joe wouldn't even let me talk at first. He said, you know, he arranged the tribute and he said, Paul, wait, 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 I got to tell you what happened to me. He said I had an apparition. Fari came to me uh, after the tribute and he said, I, you know, I'm a skeptic. I don't believe in this stuff. This thing was like super real. It was super reality. He said it. You, I don't know. It, lucid dream he said i don't know it was like moments before i woke up they i was it was seeing myself in my room and fari walks into the room and he has a smile on his face and he says have you seen any good hollywood tributes lately <laughs> and uh joe said you know, did you like it you know and fari said uh, it was fair and that was a joke between the two of them because someone in Fari's guest book at the Acker Mansion, which he called his ghost book, once wrote, this is fair. And Fari got mad about that. He said, what would this guy say about the Taj Mahal? You know, <laughs> that it was fair. Right, right. So that was the meaning. And then uh, Fari said to him, the apparition said, and no, pal, he said, that was the ninth wonder of the world. And then Joe said, it was like instantly waking up, but he's seeing everything the same. He's seeing his room exactly as when Fari was there, but now there's no Fari there anymore. And in Ninth Wonder of the World reverberated for him because why not the Eighth Wonder of the World? You know, we all say there's seven natural wonders of the world. Right. But the Eighth Wonder for Fari was always King Kong. King Kong, the Eighth Wonder of the World. So Fari never would have called his own tribute, you know. The eighth wonder of the world had to be the ninth. Right, right. So Joe told me all this, and he said, Paul, you know, it was just like Fari came and spoke to me. It was at that moment. And Joe said, I gasped. He said, it was like you put your hand on a stove, uh, because I realized that Joe Mo was contained within Joe Amodi, and what had been blacked out of my document was spoke to Joe Amodi, spoke to Joe Mo." That there was a message. Right. Fari spoke to Joe Mo. It wasn't a dream, Joe. It wasn't some kind of unreal apparition. You you had a crossover between the worlds. He came to you. And and, and just to jump ahead here, you you found uh, the same type of editing symbol that that uh, precision obliteration that Forrest used in the magazine that he edited. Yes, I, I researched it for the next couple of years. I found example after example, and one of the best I found actually in Toronto, Ian Johnston, who had coincidentally walked into a bookstore and stumbled over a box of old documents filled with original documents from Forrest J. Ackerman. The guy was selling for 49 bucks. He had no idea of its value. And I poured over these documents at Ian's house, and I, I found one that had the blackout where Fari had crossed something out in two different levels. You know, just reminiscent of my document. And right. I found others, perfect carbon copy for what happened to my document. And I also, in the book, An Atheist in Heaven, I've annotated everything. I found about uh, 12 or 15 examples from famous monsters where Fari would use a name within a name or a word within a word, you know, to make a point or make a joke. So the idea that he would tell me he spoke to Joe Mo by blacking out, you know, a name that's similar, Joe Amodi, was completely in character. So this is what boggles my mind, okay? So from the atheist, we're learning that life does go on and he still exists. But from the atheist, we're also learning that he retains his personality. He retains his sense of humor. He's still able to make a joke and a pun just like he did when he was in the body. So, you know, it all, it sounds like 
science fiction. I couldn't have invented a story like this if I tried. The stuff keeps happening to me. It's been over a hundred incidents. It's all in the book, and it's happened over this period now of uh, about seven years. And I never know when something is going to happen. I can never predict it. But when it happens, I'm just suddenly taken aback. Oh my God! You know the mask of Fari's face that was in my home office. Nobody goes in there, and it's moved ten feet across the room. You know, things that have happened are just mind-boggling. All right, and、um, we will leave some of those other stories for the next hour. We're going to continue this part two coming up、uh, for all those stations along the、uh, the network that、uh, carry the next hour. You are in for a treat. More. Evidence from an atheist in heaven: the ultimate evidence for life after death. Paul David stays with us. The website strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to the conspiracy radio program. Follow me on Twitter at Richard Serrett, and as always, follow the truth.